0: relationship with, with you. Jesus and um, sometimes um, those signs and wonders, I mean, we think of them as sort of these magnificent sort of events. Um, but sometimes it's simply uh, through the, the mouths of those who are his children who he confirms what he desires to say. And some of you may be wondering why are those people going up there and talking and telling us things. Um, That's the Lord speaking through his people to confirm the word that he wants to bring because um, the spirit of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy and um, he attends to his word. And so as we were praying this morning before service and then... Through the service, through the ministry of the worship team, through the ministry of the, of the congregation itself, that word gets affirmed and confirmed. And so um, I just want to encourage us this morning that the Lord is already speaking. Um, and I know many of you came here um, and the Lord was already even speaking to you before you got here. And the Lord uh, simply will confirm and affirm his word in your heart and life today. Um, I do want to pause for just one moment uh, just to remember and recognize um, the great need in Chile uh, today. Um, As uh, you've heard, the earthquake, and many of you remember Ovid and Jeanette um, uh, Moreno, who are part of our congregation for many years, uh, now missionaries there in Chile. Um, Tom and Kathy were able to Interact with them over email, and uh, they're they're fine, they're well, they're they are safe. Uh, but uh, we just want to pray. So if we could uh, just pause for a moment, Lord Jesus, we bring to you the suffering once again. Oh Lord, um, we don't even have the capacity in our hearts or our minds to wrap ourselves around uh, the suffering that we have seen. Um, throughout the world in these last um, weeks and months, Lord. And our hearts break, Lord, once again, for those who are suffering, Lord Jesus, Um, here as a result of this earthquake in Chile. We pray, God, that you would come with your comfort and grace. And even this day, Lord Jesus, may your word of comfort go forth, Lord, in that country. And Lord, may you touch the lives of many By Your Word today, O God, and through Your people as they gather for worship, as they gather um, to honor You, Lord Jesus, we just pray, God, that You would be a balm upon this country, we pray. And we again, we remember our brother and friend, Lidovic, as even this very day he travels to his country of his home, back to Haiti, Lord. We pray, God, that this day, Jesus he would experience your grace surrounding him, that he would experience your love upholding him, and that, Lord, you would speak through him as he shares your word with your people. God, there, we bless him. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, that we can turn to you in these times of need. And we do. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, again, thank you all for your prayers um, this week. And uh, I have passed, as Andrew shared, a very significant gate in this journey that I have been on for some time. And uh, I now have some final revisions on my dissertation, which will be accomplished, must be accomplished by April 1st. And then... I think we're just about there other than walking down the aisle and getting one of those really cute hats and uh, things that they do, whatever, so there we are. But thank you, you have been a faithful and uh, generous congregation with your support and prayers and I'm really grateful for that and I don't know what I'm doing, if I'm doing something, am I doing something I'm not supposed to be doing, but there's a lot of ah. I think it's the antenna. Maybe I'll try to do it this way and see if that works better. All right. Well, um, last week we began a series of messages entitled Radical Shift Back to the Core of the Gospel. After a break of nearly a year, we are back into our study of the Gospel of Mark. And I love the Gospel because it is the very power and presence of God. When we look into and peer into the Gospel, we are looking at something much more than just dusty words on a page. We're looking at something much more vital than simply the account of a great man's life. We are coming face to face with the very presence and power of the living God. And so, this morning... We tremble before the Word of God. And Lord, we invite You to take Your Word. Sharper than any double-edged sword, living and active, come and penetrate and pierce to the very core of our being in order to bring transformation, to dislodge us and reposition us back into right orientation with You today. Oh God, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last week, we stepped back into our study of the Gospel of Mark. As we looked at the theme of dying to live, and specifically Mark 8, 27 to 9, 1, and if you have your Bible with you, which I hope you do, and if you don't make it a practice of bringing your Bible, let me encourage you to do so, simply because it will help you kind of get familiarized with taking it out, opening it up, getting a little bit oriented. It's very, very helpful, um, because what you get here on Sunday morning is not the end total of what God wants to speak to you in a given week. He wants you to learn to take this, open it up, read it, discover, and in the wonder of God to continue to speak into your life throughout your week. That's right. Amen. Okay, so I encourage you, but if you don't have your Bible with this morning, no guilt, no shame, just use the Bible that's located right in front of you. And please turn to Mark, which is... The second book in the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through here. And actually, it's on page 714 is where the Scripture that we looked at last week is and the Scripture we're going to be looking at this week. So please take and turn with me there. So last week, we had three simple questions. The first was this, who is Jesus? And the answer, as we discovered, as as Peter makes his great declaration and confession of faith, is that He is the Christ. He is the ruling King and He is the suffering Savior. He is the Christ. So what is required of us in response to that great revelation of who Jesus is? Our response is one of surrender. And we sang about that beautifully today, um, poignantly, through our Uh, time of worship. It's a surrender to Him. It's losing to gain. It's dying to live. It's taking up our cross daily. It's denying ourselves. It's following Him. It's in surrender that we experience victory. In fact, You've heard the phrase before, surrender your way to victory. Whatever the question that you are facing is, I can tell you right now that at the core deepest level, the answer to that question is surrender. Surrender really is the core of the gospel. It's the response to the grace and mercy of God. As it says in Scripture, it says, loving kindness that leads us to repentance. With cords of loving kindness, He surrounds our life and leads us into surrender, which leads us into victory. When we take the step of radical faith and our lives are reoriented, we. Experience restoration, which is the theme of this year. And we're raised with Christ eternally. It's good. It's, it's good stuff. This is, this is called a win-win-win. Win-win-win. Okay? And this is the gospel. And this is what he's inviting you into today. So maybe you're visiting with us for the very first time today. Maybe you've been here many, many weeks, months, even years. The invitation of the Lord to you today is the same invitation that He's going to offer you every day as He stands before us, and that is, will you surrender to me and experience my life in you? Wonderful exchange, wonderful opportunity that the Lord has given to us. Well, this morning we're going to look at the second radical shift. And I've entitled the message simply Listen Up. And I'd like you to please, in response this morning to the word of the Lord, if you would please stand up as we read the word of the Lord today. If you're physically able to stand, would you please stand? our scripture this morning is Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 13. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, love that, and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured, literally metamorphosized before them, it's the Greek word from His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then there's this parenthetical remark, He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. Don't you love how just honest and real scripture is? I mean, it's. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. May the Lord bless his word, and you may be seated this morning. Thank you. All right, before I kind of get into the um, teaching portion of the message, I just want to kind of unpack this for you for a moment. This may be a familiar Scripture to many of you. It's one of the more well-known Scriptures that, uh, that people have heard about, even if they've maybe even never read the Bible. They've heard about Jesus and His transfiguration. Let's just talk about this for a moment here this morning. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with them and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. Now, this is unusual for Mark to use this um, level of particularity about timing. After six days, in Luke and Matthew, it says about eight days later they did this. So, you know, basically what they're saying here is about a week later Jesus is with them. But but it roots it into again a very historical time. Remember that there are two kinds of time described in the scriptures. We only have one word for time. In the Greek, there's two different words for time. There's chronos time, which is your chronological calendar time, your seconds, your minutes, your hours, your weeks, days, weeks, months, years. That's chronological time. And then there's kairos time. There's the time that intersects chronos time. It's that um, time where um, sort of God steps into time, there's a, a moment in time, a very significant and specific moment in time. So in the midst of this chronological time, a kairos moment happens. And if we're paying attention, that's what God wants to do in our lives. We're just kind of motoring through our lives, and God's continually seeking to break in to our chronological time with His kairos Time. So he led them up to a high mountain. They're near Caesarea Philippi. It's probably Mount Horeb. It's um, a fairly substantial climb up. Now this summer, some of you know that our family went on a extended uh, trip out to the west. We hit all of the national parks on our way out. We were in the mountains out, uh, or we were out in Seattle for most of the summer. Um, we did a lot of the climbing out there, and on the way back, we hit. Tons and tons of, of national parks on the way back. And so, um, given my particular personality and nature, uh, we will leave no mountain unclimbed, okay? No path untaken. Our longest, which our children will love to share with you about, our, our most aggressive, was a, a, a lovely seven-hour hike up in, uh, on Mount Rainier, up into multiple thousands of feet, up and down and back up and over glaciers and through the valleys and through the... It was a lovely time. It was great. My children think the word hike is a four-letter word. <laughs> they don't even want to hear it. They don't even like walk anymore. Let's go for a walk. All right. Well, Jesus took them up a high mountain, and it probably was an all day climb, leading them up and away where they were all alone. The four of them, away from the crowds, away from everything else, and just there with Jesus. Now, This is, scripture is also recorded for us in the Gospels of Luke and in Matthew. And in Luke, it tells us that um, they were sleepy after the long climb up, a long day of exertion. They're there. It's probably nighttime by this. They're up on top of the mountain. The air is thinner, the stars are all out. And suddenly, here in the mountains, something changes. There is a transformation that takes place. It says there, He was transfigured before them. What literally happens here is that the veil is suddenly removed between Jesus' natural reality as a human man and the supernatural reality of who He is as the Son of God. Remember, this is the mystery of the Incarnation. He is 100% God, 100% man. Here He is as a man. He walks up the mountain with them as a man. Now He's there and suddenly His true nature and reality is revealed to them and it is literally mind-blowing. Because here He is and His face is shining, gleaming. It's, the word here is, is very powerful. It's, it's, um, it's like the highest polished gold or brass or stainless steel with, with the sun shining on it and reflecting back. It's, it's that brightness and His clothes are radiant white. And, and the words that are used there is like a fuller. You, you ever heard of fuller? You know, it's the, a fuller is a same thing as a, as a cleaner. It's the, a launderer. His clothes are whiter than any white that you could possibly get humanly. He's shining in all of His magnificence. The suffering Savior revealed to them in who he is as the ruling king, it's magnificent. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And in the other parallel passage it says they were talking about his departure from Jerusalem. Here now, this is incredible. Think about this. Why why first of all, why Moses and why Elijah? Well, Moses was really the founder of the covenant, the old covenant. I mean, there was Abraham, of course, but Moses received the Ten Commandments. He was the one who sort of established the nation of Israel as who they were, bringing them in the Exodus out of captivity and towards the Promised Land. Elijah... He was known as the greatest of prophets. He was, the, he, was going to be, he was the one who would restore all things. So we have the founder and the restorer of the Old Covenant meeting and talking with Jesus who is the fulfillment of all that Moses and Elijah were pointing to. And they're having this conversation among themselves about Jesus' departure, about the cornerstone who would be laid by His death, resurrection, and ascension. Of course, both Moses and Elijah had also had experiences with God on the mountaintops. And now here Jesus is. So there's this theophany, this, this experience of, of God pulling away the curtain and revealing Himself to them. Incredible. One thing, this is a very, very side, side note, but it's just always encouraging to me. You know, because Moses, because of his disobedience when he was bringing the people out of Israel, God said, you're not going to see the promised land. And he didn't in his lifetime. But here he is in the promised land. (laughs) What an encouragement. You know what? There may be things that you never see while you are physically here on earth. But the promises of God are yes and amen. Mm. All right. Let's go on. So Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, I love, love it what it says there then in verse 6. And he didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. I mean, the Gospel of Mark is based, most scholars would believe, on Mark's interaction and and ongoing conversations with Peter. Peter's really the eyewitness behind these things. So so you can see Peter talking to Mark, as Mark's, you know, saying, I didn't know what to say. (laughs) You know? Kind of like us. I don't know about you, but in that moment, I don't know, I know what to say. But God bless him, Peter's got to say Something. Because we can't have any unuttered thought, you know. Some of us can relate to that. All right. But he says, Let's let's put up some booths here. That'd be really good, Jesus. One for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. Now, those booths, those shelters, are the same shelters for the Feast of Tabernacles, which is looking forward to the So 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 Peter is really He's really connecting back into tradition here. All right, so we're up in the mountain. We've got to build these, the Feast of Tabernacles. We've got to build the Sukkah. You know, we have the Sukkah room up here with the rollback ceiling because it had to be under an open sky. It had to be these shelters, the Feast of Tabernacles. It had to be outside. And so here we are. We're up on the mountain. The glory of God is here. Obviously, there's, let's build, some booth. let's, and, and, and really, it's a reflection, I think of what our heart is, I I don't want this to go away. Let's hang on to it. Let's just build some booths and stay here. You and me are the same as Peter. We get easily hooked in to two things. Tradition and triumphalism. Tradition and triumphalism. When God moves, man, the first thing that we want to do is build something around it so that it doesn't go away. You want to build a monument. You want to you want to hang on to that. It's been said the the greatest um, resistance. To what God wants to do now comes from those who've known what God has done back then. There's always that tension. And there's always the temptation to triumphalism. Well, we've arrived now. Here we are. Woo! <laughs> City of St. Paul, here we are. We've arrived. And then a cloud appeared and enveloped them. I just... I'm really captivated by that word enveloped. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm a word guy. I just, But I think of that, just that picture. of Here comes the cloud. And the cloud, remember, when we're talking about the cloud, we're talking about the Shekinah glory of God. This is the cloud that led the people of Israel out of Egypt. This is the cloud that came down over the tabernacle. This was the cloud in the temple as described in the book of Ezekiel. But that cloud has been absent for 600 years. Nobody's seen the cloud. And now they're standing up here on the mountain and the Lord comes in His Shekinah, the weight of His numinous glory comes and envelops them. And just like on Mount Sinai, when God spoke to Moses out of the cloud, he speaks again here and reaffirms the very word that he spoke at Jesus' baptism. And says, this is my beloved Son. This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to Him. See, we are right at an extremely um, critical moment in the Gospel and in the in the journey of Jesus towards Jerusalem, in the journey of the disciples into the reality of who Jesus truly is. And listen to this very carefully. When God speaks to you most clearly, it usually means that you are going to go through such a difficult ex- experience that you will need to be absolutely certain that God has spoken to you. And it will give you the power to endure the test. And this clarity of God speaking often comes at very significant transitional moments in your life. Did you hear that? I'm going to say it one more time. When God speaks to you most clearly, it usually means that you are going to go through such a difficult experience that you are going to need to be absolutely certain that God has indeed spoken to you. Isaiah 50, 10 and 11. You can just reference that somewhere. Put that over and go back and read that sometime. I'm not going to read it right now. Isaiah 50. When you are in the dark, walking through the dark. Don't light your own torch. (laughs) But wait on God. Submit to Him. Let me just use this phrase. I've used this many times in the past, but let me say it again. When you are in the dark, do not forget what God has revealed to you in the light. And the disciples were going to need this. They were going to need it. Is they were walking into and, so, and Jesus needed it. Mm-hmm. This is the reaffirmation of God to His son. This is my son whom I love. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to him. okay? Is this, are, are, you, are you experiencing this this morning? Are you starting to? Yeah. Mm. okay, this is very, very significant. All right and I love okay, I keep saying that I'm sorry I'm so repetitive here I love this I love it. I but I do <laughs> I just I just it every time I read it I just get recaptivated again suddenly when they looked around they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus don't you just love that everything else was there was nothing except Jesus and and how about for you? Let me ask you a question: When everything else is gone, and everything else and all of the all of the whipty whoop is gone, and all of the you know the cloud is lifted, when you come out of a Sunday morning experience where you've met with God and you go back out. And come back down off the mountain and there's nobody with you except Jesus. Is He still enough? Is it enough just to put your hand in His and walk with Him again? Let's come on down the mountain, boys. We're not done with the journey yet. There's no one, they didn't see anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders, don't tell anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And you can tell them about this. Because that's when the reality of what you're just getting a foretaste of is going to be the fullness of it. They kept the matters themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. We'll talk about that in a moment. They asked him, why did the teacher of the law say Elijah must come first? Elijah does come first, restores all things. Why it is then written that the Son of Man must suffer, must be rejected. But I tell you, Elijah has come. And in the parallel, again, Scriptures, Matthew and Luke, make it very clear that they understood here that Jesus is talking now about John the Baptist They've done to him everything they wish, just as it was written about him. So Elijah, John the Baptist, in that prophetic tradition has come in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, who has come. Okay, I've got three questions that I want to explore again this morning. And I'm gonna, I, I want to focus in very tightly here now. Having given us this kind of panoramic view of the transfiguration, I want to focus in for our remaining moments together on what God says to Peter, James, and John while they're on the mountain when he speaks out of the cloud. Because I think it's a word in season for us to hear right now, and it's a significant shift that he wants to make in us. And that has to do with listen to him listen up so the first question i want to ask is simply this what prevents us from hearing god's voice why don't we hear god's voice if god is speaking which he is why is it that we don't hear him what prevents us from hearing god's voice and in the passage that we're looking at in in, in very tight proximity around that passage I think there's some very specific and significant things that we can discover here in answer to that question. The first one is this, misconceptions. Misconceptions we have about God, about his purposes, about what he plans to do. I, I, this was in the passage from last week, but leads right into the passage this morning. Jesus, the he there is Jesus. Jesus spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his, di- looked at his disciples, remember he looked at that, it was not just Peter, he was just a spokesman for the whole group. He rebuked Peter, get behind me Satan, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Part of it is that we have misperceptions, again, about who God is and what he is doing. And those prevent us, it becomes difficult for us to hear from God. I'm going to talk about this in my class on Sunday evenings a little bit when we talk about Peter and the transformation that happens for him when he meets with Cornelius and he has the vision of the, you know, of the uh, the banner, whatever, coming down, the sheep coming down with the animals and kill and eat and, you know, but he, Peter has a very clear understanding of who God is and how he is to work. And so when God speaks, it goes through a distorted lens We all have distorted lenses in us that misperceive and misconceive what God is saying. A second is sleepiness and distractions. Peter and his companions, Luke 9, were very sleepy. But I love this. But when they became fully awake, they saw His glory and the two men standing with Him. A lot of it is a spiritual slumber within us. Caused by distractions, caused by weariness, caused by, you know, there's all kinds of things. Each of these I could preach, you know, and I I can't preach an entire series this morning. I just want to give you that, I want you to give, give you these for you to consider and for you to dig into and pray into. Okay? I don't have to give it all to you. The Spirit of God will give it to you as you pay attention. We did a 40-day uh, season of fasting last year to wake up. Because a lot of us are asleep, sedated. Distractions, all kinds of different things. All right, third. This is a biggie, personal agendas. Here, we're back to Peter Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. A lot of times we're not hearing from God because we're bringing to God. You know, we're doing a lot of our praying. and We're going to talk more about prayer next week. But a lot of our praying is us communicating with God our personal agendas. Jesus, I've got a great plan. Here it is. We're just like Peter. That's why we love Peter so much. Because he's just like us. We've got a great plan. We've got our personal agendas. We've got all of this that we're doing. And all we need is for you to sign on the bottom line that we've put out here for you. It gets in the way of our hearing God. Fear. When the disciples heard this, Matthew tells us they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came up and touched them. Get up. He said, don't be afraid. I shared this before. I'll mention it again. You know, there's 365 times in the Scripture that it says, fear not. Don't be afraid. What it literally means is this. I understand that you're afraid, but don't run because what I have to say to you is for your good and for your blessing. So don't don't react to your fear. Sometimes we don't hear from God because we're so afraid. What is He going to say to us? What is He saying to us? What has He said to us? You can't really mean that. You want what? La 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 la. I can't hear you. Because we're afraid. Ignorance. We simply don't know. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead and they kept the matter themselves discussing what rising from the dead meant. They didn't know. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. Sometimes our ignorance can get in the way. Hmm. And sometimes we don't even want to know. We don't know and we don't care. And we don't care what we don't know. All right. Those are five things which prevent us. And there's more that we could talk about. I just wanted to root it directly in our passage this morning. So misconceptions, distractions, personal agendas, fear, and ignorance. So, here's another significant question then. How do I know that it's God's voice? Well, I'm so glad you asked me. I just have three simple things to tell you, and then you will all know. Not exactly. You're going to spend your life figuring out how to know when it's God's voice. But I do have a few things that I think might help you. First of all, it sounds like God. Everybody say, "ooh." Ah, okay. It sounds like God. One of the things that I've discovered is that God's voice really does have a different tone and timbre than my own voice. And it certainly has a different tone and timbre than the voice of the enemy. God's voice is very consistent. It's very constant. God doesn't nag or whine. He doesn't manipulate. That's not God's voice. He doesn't condemn. Convicts, oh yeah. But He doesn't condemn. God's voice is just... um, As you you look in Scripture, just spend some time in the Gospels just listening. Sometimes even read out loud if you can. I mean, it'll come through your own vocal cords. But just kind of listen to how Jesus interacts with people. It's very clear. Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. His, frequently, he just, he just looks at stuff differently than I do. And it usually seems to be sort of inside out of the way it's... I don't even know how to... All I can speak here is in fluid intuitive, All right? which may or may not be helpful to you, but there's just some way in which, you know, I'm looking at something and I'm seeing it from this way and God's looking at it from seemingly a whole different perspective and when I start to reorient around to His perspective, it's like, oh, I see something totally different that I didn't see before. Anybody else ever have that? Okay, I'm not explaining it real well, but do you have that experience? Anybody relate to this? Okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad you can follow me. At least that far. But it just... So, and it, and it, Yeah. Alright. Again, I could spend a lot of time with all of these. Which we don't have this morning. It brings revelation of Jesus. It always brings revelation of Jesus. God's voice is always about, and the Spirit of God is always spotlighting Jesus, always trying to help us see Him more clearly. There's a great story in Acts chapter um, 8 about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and I'm not going to take time to read the whole story, but you know, Philip is in the midst, and and this is part of hearing God, you know, Philip's in the midst of a revival in Samaria, and God takes him out of revival and sticks him on a desert road. What's that about, Jesus? Don't you see what's happening? We're having great meetings here. Shut him down! I got something else I'm doing. But the Ethiopian eunuch, as we know, opens up a whole new region of the world. And Philip's obedience. All right. So Philip ran up to the chariot. He sees this guy, this very, you know, significant government official, and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Philip asked a great question. Do you understand what you're reading? Well, how can he, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come in and sit next to him. And the eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. Surprise! He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and his lamb before his shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked, Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And Philip asked. Began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Here comes this intersection between Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God. And something opens up. So we need to listen to Scripture. We need to interact with Scripture. We need to. And here's another piece that's very important. And David, would you come on up? I need the uh, mic. We also need to listen to our lives. God often speaks to us, like He did throughout the Scripture, like Jeremiah in the Potter's House. He speaks to us through the sort of the ordinary, quote-unquote, ordinary moments in our lives. Where he just comes, and again, in the middle of chronological time, suddenly he's speaking to us. We need to learn to pay attention. God, what are you saying in my life right here, right now? After the message last week, and I was sharing about surrender, uh, David Sandquist sent me a a great email. He found the comic for me, by the way, the one I was describing. That was great. Thank you, David. But he also um, shared with me a great story from his life that the Lord brought back to his mind in response to the message from last week. And I think it's a wonderful illustration of what we're talking about this morning, about listening to God and surrender. And so he's got about five minutes to uh, share this. Thank you, David.